Nine weeks after my twins were born, I got a call from a nurse in California. I, if you don't remember, live in New York, but she was assigned by my insurance company to conduct a postnatal survey over the phone. I guess insurance companies want to keep new moms out of psych wards. You know, if they catch us before we are admitted, covering therapy appointments is still cheaper on their end than an extended stay. I don't remember her name, but I remember the portrait I painted while she talked. I gave her a princess dye cut in color, and she wore Angela's glasses from Who's the Boss? She was obviously tall, like every woman except me, like a real woman. She tucked turtlenecks into slacks. She looked polished. I made her ideal. I guess I made her my ideal because she was the first person to talk to me about me in weeks. If this were a movie, I probably would have kissed her. Her questions revealed I was not well. And I guess we all knew it, but answering, quote, I cannot recall, to the question, when was the last time you laughed? And, quote, uh, never, to the question, do you sing to your babies? Hit me in a way I wasn't ready for. The postpartum period is indescribable, and I guess to that point, rarely described. I'm learning now it's similar to perimenopause. Thanks, you guys did not tell me about the bloating. <laughs> Nothing prepares you for it. Postpartum, that is. Truly, we don't live with our extended families anymore, surrounded by someone having yet another baby. In fact, we schedule home visits. We don't see the mundanity or the insanity. We aren't used to the images we'll see, or the bodily fluids we'll expel, or, or they'll expel, the babies. Undiagnosed anxiety? Hell, diagnosed anxiety. Have you ever watched a kid you made breathe for 24 hours? It's nuts. And I know for some of you, it isn't nuts. I mean, my second birth, I had him in my dining room. I walked over to my bedroom, turned Netflix on to watch old episodes of The Office, and I didn't leave my bed for three weeks. It was fucking bliss. Like, you know, when Carvel used to do that thing where they dip the ice cream in the chocolate that would harden? That kind of bliss. Long Island friends, you know what I'm talking about. But even then, a few weeks later, Syrian children were washing up on shores and holding my baby felt complicated. Today we are talking with a first-time mother who was birthed into first-time motherhood at the very start of New York State's lockdown. Without spoiling too much, her entire postpartum experience, as you can imagine, was, well, locked down in that she remained in a house without visitors and a lot of the feelings or rituals or experiences you might navigate in those first few months never happened. You're supposed to fight with your partner about the friends that you wanted to come over coming over and it overwhelming you. You're not supposed to navigate no one ever coming. And yet, Monica does so with grace. Here's me and Monica and new motherhood in a plague. That wasn't supposed to happen, no, not at all. No, not at all. No, not at all. 
So welcome to the show, Monica. Thank you for having me. So are you at your office or are you at home today? I broke into my office, accidentally set off the alarm, but there's no screaming toddler in the background. Hmm. Which would have been worse, a screaming toddler or like... Or calling my boss on a Sunday that I broke into the office and set <laughs> off the alarm. <laughs> so you went to the, to the office so that we couldn't hear Nora. Do you have an office in your home? I do. I have, I have a little home office with a pocket door, which was not a smart design choice because she has figured out how to open a pocket door. <laughs> she can't turn a doorknob, but she can slide the doors she apart can... and wiggle her little body in. Oh, so you get no work done ever. Um, you know, <laughs> here and there. <laughs> if in case the boss is listening, yeah, sure, you get tons of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very efficient. <laughs> Watch me juggle this baby while I, you know, <laughs> write this law treatise or something. I don't I don't speak law. <laughs> me neither. So, were you were you guys planning on when you first got pregnant, were you planning on having like a work from home office or was that like a well, I can't say was it a covid edition because both things happened at the same time. But but was like yeah, that in the plan? No. No, our plan was after four months, I, I would take four months of leave and go to work. Oh, wow. So nothing went according to plan. Nothing. No. <laughs> Literally nothing. Literally nothing. Before <laughs> we get into that, let's hear a little bit about your childhood. What was your childhood like? What was my childhood Was there like? a pandemic during your childhood? <laughs> there, was, there was no pandemic, luckily. I grew up just outside of Albany with two parents who I am very lucky that I think were truly made to be parents that I just couldn't ask for more from them. So family's always been important. I've never known if I was cut out for parenthood, um, but I'm here now. <laughs> so hoping for the best. <laughs> was your house, was it one of those houses that was filled with cousins and aunts and uncles? Did you have siblings or did you guys kind of keep to yourselves? No. Big Italian family on my mom's side, always with family, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents. My grandfather came over every Tuesday night um, when my grandma went out and played cards. My mom was also sort of like the default mom within our group of friends. Like she uh, she was a stay-at-home mom, so – in the summer, she took care of other people's kids. There were always other kids around. And still to this day, like friends that my sister and I have lost touch with are still in touch with my mom. Oh, that's adorable. They like still go over yeah. to Mrs. Ayer's house. They're like, hey, Karen. Yeah, they do. They do. What's for dinner? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I guess like, is there an overarching emotion that you like that would embody your childhood? Oh, gosh. I think I, I mean... There, there was just so much love. Like mm. everything was secure and there was always love. We always felt safe. There was always somebody to turn to. Like, I think that was it. It was just like, we really, I think my sister and I both just felt how loved we were all the time mm. and could really just be ourselves. That's awesome. And like, you had more than just your parents to turn. I, I just from knowing you, I know you're like so close with your aunts. So you had more than just yep. your parents, right? You could lean on aunts and uncles and stuff. And many older cousins as well. Oh, that's, that's really, that was gonna, I was gonna ask like loving parents, what would you say? But it's like, you already answered. Yeah. 
So, but you did say earlier, I thought that was interesting. I was making the note here. Um, you didn't know if you would be cut out to be a parent. I'm interested in, in you thinking that even though you came from this abundance of love and family and um, full houseness, right? Yeah. I don't know. I've just never like, I never pictured myself being a mother. Mm. And I thought like, it's such a profound decision to make. Like you should really feel called to it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's forever and it's, you're bringing a life into the world and there's nothing bigger than that. Mm. Um, and I always just felt like, well, I don't know if I'm cut out for this yeah. or if I'm so like unsure about it, maybe that means I shouldn't do it. And then I also, you know, sort of tying into the current state of affairs, I really struggled with feeling like, is this a good choice in the era of climate change, yeah. knowing that my child's life will be different than mine yeah. and wondering what things will look like for her. And I I really spent years in therapy talking about this before I decided having a kid mm. to have a child. Mm. I, I specifically remember like shortly before I got pregnant, talking with my therapist and saying, you know, like world leaders, global experts, scientists – are saying there's going to be like pandemics like we've never seen before because of climate change. Right. And what will happen if that happens in my child's life and I'll have to deal with that? And like the the temperature changes where crops aren't growing and yeah. maybe there's food shortages. Right. And right. like, how do I reconcile that with bringing a life into the yeah. world? And I finally, you know, reached the point that this could happen at some point. Right. Probably not anytime soon. Right. And, you know, every generation sort of thinks that they're the last generation. Yeah. Like everyone has, right. every generation has a worry that it's going to be the end. Right. So I finally said, you know what? This is something I want. We'll see if it happens. And here we are. And here we are. And it all happened. <laughs> and literally everything came true. <laughs> Spoiler. The day she was born. <laughs> so when you found out you were pregnant, what was the initial reaction? Um, I think it was just shock. Yeah. I had also gone into all of this with a history of like ovarian issues that we weren't sure if I was ever going right. to get pregnant. I mean, so, I remember having those talks in grad school, like not to, you know, yeah. jump into your own story, but that's a real thing a lot of women have to deal with. Also, just the idea of like, that might not even be in the cards for me uh, physiologically, right. right? But it happened pretty fast for you, right? Like, it happened very easily. And <laughs> I was like, I was like, I feel weird. Maybe I should take a test. And I took one and I just sort of like told Jim when he came home from work, I'm like, so I'm pregnant and there wasn't like, we weren't like crying and hugging each other. We were both like, huh, okay. <laughs> so this is what what's happening now. It was like very non-emotional. We, were, we didn't know what to do. And that was sort of like my whole pregnancy. It was all very surreal. Like I didn't, I was excited about it, yeah. but I didn't love being pregnant. You didn't love And I love wanted to meet pregnant. her, but I was afraid of giving birth and- you know, yeah. it's a complicated thing. Yeah. So you said you didn't love being pregnant, like, because uh, your mind was still sort of racing or because of the, the body stuff or... I think everything, yeah. like, your whole body changing is very bizarre mm -hmm. and painful. Like, I was just in a lot of pain my third trimester. Mm -hmm. I was sick my first trimester. You know, it's, it's yeah. not pleasant no. all the time. <laughs> and I think it's just very weird... I kept going, I just have this little alien inside of me. Like for me, it took a long time to feel like I was carrying my baby mm. and not like I just had this little thing growing inside right, of me. Right. I was like, you know, it, there was a bit of a disconnect for me. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. You're not looking into the thing's eyes, right? When it's in you, you know, right. like there's a weird, right. 
And and I think that's how we connect. I mean, we're not going to go into like a discussion about how the internet is killing us, but I will say <laughs> while I'm on a mic <laughs> not looking at you and we're broadcasting this through radio waves, that looking into people's eyes <laughs> is how you connect with them. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I can totally appreciate that idea of like, yeah, I mean, there's something in you and, and like you watch people that are like constantly rubbing their belly when they're pregnant or like they, you know, they seem to like like and and I would talk to it and I would like you know and I'm like oh I didn't know that was a thing you were supposed to do I thought you were just supposed to drink milkshakes you know (laughs) and like don't take showers that are too hot like that was my I was like obsessive about shower temperature my midwife told us not to have sex in the woods that was her big she was like just don't have any in the woods sex I was like Susan I don't know what that means (laughs) wink wink nudge Oh, man. Well, I think maybe the best way to sort of uh, frame the rest of your story and to like dive into it for the listeners, tell us what was the date on which you gave birth to to that daughter, to that alien of yours? March 10th, 2020. (laughs) And New York State went into its initial lockdown what, two days later? I don't know when the exact lockdown yeah. happened. I know the travel ban was the 11th. Yeah. Even though like the lockdown didn't start on March 10th, like what was it like walking into? Because I, I feel like we were all watching the news. I know in my mind, the reason I remember that date is because the, you know, the high school in my town was going to be putting on Peter Pan, right? Which is like the, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you're a high school kid and you're a theater kid as, as we were and- the year you're in high school, they do Peter Pan. It's like, not to mix metaphors, but it's like the golden ticket. It's like, yeah, we get to fly. (laughs) So we were all looking forward to this, right? So we were watching the news and, you know, Mm -hmm. and the show was supposed to open March 11th, 12th, and 13th, right? Those were, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And and they canceled the show. So I know people were like understanding that, you know, the sort of, the pandemic was... Uh, you know, on its way or, or intent intensifying here in the States. So what was it like walking into a hospital on, on March 10th? I don't think we quite grasped it at that point. So I just remember the week before I was still working and we have attorneys who fly around the country for trial yeah. and depositions and whatever else. And the week before she was born, so she was born on a Monday or I guess a Tuesday. And that Wednesday prior, we were having a staff meeting and I just raised the issue of like, should attorneys who are flying to the West Coast, because it was getting pretty serious on the West Coast at that time, should they be coming back into the office right after they travel? Right. Or should they be staying home? Yeah. And that was like the start of the discussion. And then, I mean, this was before it really hit New York. Mm-hmm. It was before mask mandates. It was before people even really thought about mm-hmm. masks. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was none of that at the time. And a few weeks, just an aside, a few weeks uh, before my due date, we had hired a doula. We hired Susie and Amanda, who you know, yeah. and recommended to us. <laughs> and I just remembered they said, hold that baby in because we're both incredibly sick. And I think Susie was in the ICU with some sort of pneumonia, yeah. but they didn't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, turns out they tested positive for COVID. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can share people's medical <laughs> news like that. But later, <laughs> they, the antibody tests were positive. Right. 
Um, so it was here and we just didn't quite know. Exactly, yeah. And at the time they were limiting visitors in the hospital. Yeah. So I think we were allowed to have two visitors at a time, but Jim counted as a visitor. Right. And Susie counted as a visitor. Right. So aside from them, we couldn't have any family and the waiting rooms were shut down. Wow. So so parents couldn't even be in the waiting room and like a nurse come out and be like, Nora's here or something like that just wasn't an right. option. Yeah, there, w- there was no waiting room. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I remember the day after she was born, my mother-in-law came to see her and my mom came to the hospital. We just played dumb and pretended, oh, we thought it was two visitors plus Jim. And the hospital was like, get out. Get out. <laughs> so they <laughs> they turned a blind eye for a second so they could like hug her and take a picture. And then they had to go. Oh, oh man. Wow. I went into labor for her on her due date. Had she been even a week later, that was when at the point that not even your your partner could be there. I, I so I would just have had to do it to, alone, yeah. which is unimaginable. I, I yeah. was just going to say, like, I, I recall, you know, because I haven't worked at Waddle and Swaddle in years, but um, I still keep in touch with a lot of, you know, the women that are in those baby making years. And mm-hmm. uh, I know women that were saying, my, you know, my partner can't come in with me. I have to just go in. I'm like, what? What is that? I mean, I don't know. For me, I'd be like, good. <laughs> Scott, Scott <laughs> cried at every sing- at all of my births, and I would just look at him like, what the fuck are you crying about? That somebody is ripping <laughs> out of my undersides. Like, what? what right. Please tell me what's bothering you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so maybe, perhaps I should have birthed during. <laughs> um. Well, also, I mean, this was I had no. You have no context for labor until you're in it. Like, you just don't understand. And one piece that I didn't understand is how much time you spend alone. I thought there would just be a nurse attending to me all the time. (laughs) Like, no, I'm not the only one there. I just thought, I don't know. I'm like, they're leaving me alone during this for 31 hours. Like, excuse me. (laughs) Um, I just thought there would be a doctor and nurse with me all the time. So to have to go through it for the first time and, and really, I mean- to truly be alone, I just is, I can't imagine. So I'm very, very lucky in that sense that she came when she Right, did. right. Because at least you were alone with Jim. And Susie. Yeah. And Susie, yeah. I thought you had done like your hypnobirthing like from your iPhone or something. I didn't realize Susie was able to come in. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did a hypnobirthing. I had my tracks yeah. going. But um, she was there. But she was, yeah, she was there. And I was a very good student for hypnobirthing. Not very good in practice. I really just panicked, <laughs> and I was like, "Is this normal? Does it is it supposed to hurt this bad?" <laughs> you would have been a, a terrible uh, Scientologist <laughs> asking. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> and I'm sure the whole floor heard me pushing, <laughs> screaming. <laughs> so you have your baby. She comes out. Everything's good. No, no, that part didn't go as planned either. <laughs> oh no. Um. So. The birth itself, I think I'm still processing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're having her at this sort of scary time in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I was in labor for 31 hours and I was pushing for like, I don't know, like four hours and I was just exhausted yeah. and her heart rate was starting to drop. So we had to have um, a vacuum birth. Yeah. Not great. Don't recommend. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it got her out and we're both safe. Yeah. Um, but she had in that time swallowed her meconium and I didn't, they just sort of like whisked her away. Yeah. Like 
I'm panicked. I didn't get to have like this beautiful birth moment with her on my chest. Yeah. I didn't get to birth my placenta. They're like ripping it out of me. Yeah. Doctors are working on her. Jim left to be with her. Susie finally leaves. And then you're just, I was just alone. Yeah. There's no one in the room with me. I don't have a baby. And I just remember like the cafeteria person brings me a yogurt. <laughs> and I'm like, is this it? Is this like... <laughs> I went through all this. There's no, I don't even know if my baby's okay. And I'm just supposed to like sit here and eat a yogurt. <laughs> like it was a very bizarre experience. Yeah, it feels Seinfeldian. Like here's your yogurt. It does, here's it your does, birth yeah. yogurt. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a raspberry Chobani. Oh, um, of course. Well, at least it was Chobani. <laughs> all right. I could, yeah, I, you know, it was a nice one. Yeah. But like it was like three, I think three hours later when I finally got to hold her for the first time. Oh, wow. That um, is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really long time. And I think not, sorry, this is where I'm going to, it's going to get a little hard. No, um, of course. But not being able to hold her and see her. And then her first day on earth, like the whole world shutting down. Yeah. Um, it's just made it really hard for me to uh, be the type of mom I yeah. want to be. And I think from then on, I'm just so afraid of anything happening to her. And I just feel so protective of her. Yeah. Um, sorry. No, don't say sorry. You're supposed to feel what you feel. So, you know, I, I wanted to be the mom to be like, spread your wings and fly and go do this and go do that. And I do that to some extent, but she was born at a scary time. Yeah. She, it was scary. I mean, her health was a big question mark when she was born. Yeah. She had a few months of, you know, medical issues we had to deal with and just the whole state of the world. It's, it's just been hard to let my guard down, I think. Yeah. I know it's going to be difficult and I know you're already, you know, feeling the, all the, all the all the feelings. My whole purpose in having this show, right, and having these conversations with people is is to promote empathy especially in such a fucking I'm going to say fucking, I'm going to curse. Um scary time <laughs> um because yeah. the easiest thing that people have seemed to have been doing during this scary time is to be angry and fearful of each other and or mean to each other. Yep. So if you feel comfortable, I would love to talk about what it was like to come home and to not have visitors. Did that sort of perpetuate the feelings you were already feeling during those three yogurt hours? Yeah. We were lucky that Jim's mom was at our house. So we had her for maybe a week. Mm. Um, and if we knew that when she left, she wouldn't be coming back yeah. for like six months, we never would have let her leave. It wouldn't, yeah. Um, yeah. So that first week was okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was still healing. Right. We're just sort of trying to navigate what we do with this little thing. <laughs> um. And then she left and, you know, there's all these things that you expect to happen, right? Like people drop off food, you have a meal train, yeah. um, people even just like stop by and say hello and you get a lot of well wishes. Yeah. And what happened was so catastrophic yeah. on such, I, I, it was a, gl a global right. catastrophe right. that it's not like we were the only people dealing with it, Right. that Everybody was dealing with it right. all at the same time. Right. So at this time that we're adjusting to parenthood and we want to have people come over, we we want people to reach out to us, everyone's panicking yeah. about what is happening in the yeah. world, what they're going to do with their children, what they're right. going to do with their jobs. Are they going to work? Are they safe? Is this cold COVID? Like, so no one, I don't think anyone even had the bandwidth to check in on us yeah. or 
to congratulate us or to just say, what's Nora look like today? You know, because everything else was happening. So we didn't have people dropping off food. We had like here and there, I think one or two people drop things off, but we were too scared. I mean, this was the this I'm, was right at the start. This was yeah. bleach your groceries, right? right? I remember texting you and saying, "Yeah, I have, a, I have a severe headache. My throat's on fire. I'm not giving you fucking food from this house. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And and then like, it's not like yeah. I, a few weeks later, gave you food. It was like a few weeks later, I was still putting my food on my porch for four hours before I brought it in. Like I wasn't going to do that. Yes. All of, yeah. All of our groceries went in the garage. Like you you couldn't get toilet paper. You know, it was, it was the height of it. It was the height of the fear. It was the height of the anxiety and it was happening to everybody all at once. But my husband runs his own business and he pretty much shut down immediately when the, the state shutdown happened. Right. So he was pretty much working seven days a week to try to keep his business afloat because he couldn't have employees. Um, There were like capacity limits. So I was just alone with Nora, this little infant who just screamed at me. And, you know, they're just a potato at that (laughs) point. (laughs) They're just a screaming potato. Um, You know, there's not as much the, the connection that I have with her now that she's a toddler and could talk to me and we can play. Right. And I was just alone. I yeah. was alone for for months. We had no visitors. Um, yeah. Once it, the weather got a little nicer out, like my parents would come and sit, but I was so afraid of any germs or contamination that you know people would sit like thirty feet. Away. I'd have chairs thirty feet away, and we'd yeah. like yell at each other across the yard. Yeah. So like no grandparents. My dad hadn't met her. Um, he hadn't gotten to hold her. Yeah. And and I think I texted you this at one point, just like. Wow, like motherhood is just a really profound loneliness. Yeah, I remember that text very vividly. Yeah. I've never felt lonely like that in my life. Yeah. And I think also just feeling like it was just me and her, I think has also, you know, fed into that. I have to protect her. I have to keep her safe. Yeah. Um, Because for so many months, it was just me and her and Jim was doing the best he could to be there for us. But he has a business. I mean, this yeah. is his livelihood. I can't right. fault him for keeping that afloat, you know? Right, right. So it was a really hard time. I sort of pictured my maternity leave would be like going out to coffee shops and showing off my baby. And Dude, I know. I mean, still to this day, we have so many people in our lives who haven't met her. Oh my God, um, still. Ugh. Still, because you start to feel safe and there's another wave or yeah. it's just hard to know what to do. Yeah. Um, so finally about, I think when she was four months old or five months old, my parents quarantined for two weeks. They didn't leave the house. They didn't yeah. go anywhere or do anything. And they came to visit and my dad got to hold her for the first time. Because <laughs> my mom had gotten to hold her in the hospital yeah. and my mom came for a d- visit right after she was born. Yeah. But my dad had a cold, yeah. so he couldn't come then. Right. Um, but when my dad got to hold her for the first time, it was like, I think the most emotional moment of my life. Cause it had been so long and he had wanted to yeah. hold her for so long and I had wanted him to. And then from that point, I was just getting back to work and just to say how loving and wonderful my parents are, they fully put their lives on hold. Yeah. Um, and they started coming down and caring for Nora so I could work. So my parents fully lived their lives in quarantine. They didn't see friends. They didn't see family. They didn't leave the house. They didn't go grocery shopping. They were either in their house or they were in yeah. my house. So they made this huge 
huge sacrifice to be there for all of us. And I don't know, I don't know how Jim and I would have survived had they not done that. I, I honestly don't. Um, no, I just, mean, you know, trying to work, trying to take care of Nora. I don't mean how our marriage would have survived. <laughs> I just think mentally we would have broken down. I'm like, ooh, do tell, it, juice. It no. just felt like too much. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you couldn't have. One of you would have had to put the job, right, on hold. Like, there would yeah. not have been an ability because, you know, most people that go back to work, you know, the baby goes to daycare or there's a live in, you know, like a come to your home situation, right? Some sort of sitter situation. Yeah. But, you know, at at five months, I don't think daycares were accepting kids that young yet. I I mean, there were still so many restrictions. Even to this day, I know teachers in our district that when they went to go back to work or, you know, and they went to put their kid back in daycare, it's like, oh, but our we're at our limit. Like they, they didn't have a spot anymore because they can't, you know, they couldn't take the same amount of kits. So it's like, no, you would not have still had your job, had your parents not done yeah, that for you. Yeah. And like, we were too, too scared of daycare, too scared of the outside world. This was like the pre, this was still pre-vaccine. Right. It was, I mean, I guess we were doing masks by that point, but, and maybe only partially bleaching our groceries. I don't know, but it was still, it was still early. It was still really early. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So we were just, you know, I, in all of this, I just like want to recognize my privilege that I have a job that allowed me to work from yeah. home. I have a spouse who could flex his hours to make things happen. I have parents who were willing to do this for yeah. us um, because in that sense, we had it so much easier than so many other right. people. Right. But it's worth talking about. I, I think of how you and, you know, some of our other friends in our friend group have said, like, now that we have a baby, we say to each other, how the hell did Heather and Scott do twins? You know, like, you yes, don't think I about a mess. <laughs> I can't either. And I lived it. (laughs) Um, You don't think about a thing until you're either in it or reminded to think about it. You know, my kids are much older. So I've had my kids already. Like if you hadn't had Nora literally the day or two days before we went into lockdown, would it have been on my radar that like there are parents that aren't getting to do the like you know, when I had my twins, like my former professor came to my house with mac and cheese. Like Matt Newcomb oh my came gosh. to my house with like a casserole dish of mac and cheese. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's what yeah. people do, right? And then they yep. sit there and they talk to you and you like, you you try to talk and you feel good about it because you're like, oh, a human adult is talking to me. So then you talk really fast and you right. say a lot of things. Right. <laughs> you remember nothing of what they said. You don't ask them how they are. <laughs> Yeah. And then like they and then they like maybe they ask if they can like do a dish or do something, you know, and and that's what you yeah. do. Like that's the job. That's the like that's how we emulate the whole like we were supposed to raise kids in villages and it's supposed to be a community effort and you know, yeah. the mom is supposed to just lay there and be like hydrated and fed and and then, you know, when the baby's done nursing, you just take that baby and tell mom to roll over and go to bed and then, you know, don't do a dish. Right, right. You were like not doing that at all. That like that wasn't your life at all. And I, I just, no, there was even, none of it. There was none of it. And I just think like sometimes we forget how hard those first months were for so many people on so many different levels, and for you guys especially. 
an entire chapter of your life that is supposed to be very, it has a very idyllic, maybe we'll say, but also like a very, there's a brand, right? Like there's a, there's a look to like mm-hmm. what we all think post motherhood looks like. And that's not even right. at all what what you were able to do. You know, there are so many small moments that got me through it. Like I just, like my neighbors, um, I had some older neighbors on either side of my house who were very enthusiastic about having a baby nearby and they would just come stand in the, um, stand on my porch and we'd talk through the window and I'd hold the baby up. (laughs) And they were really the people who got to see Nora the most, but it was just like, you know, they're older, retired. They had nothing else to do. We had nothing else to do. And they, we would just talk through the door and it was just, you know, little moments like that, um, that just make you feel less alone. Yeah. Um, and having our friend Danny around the corner in walking distance. And we used to, you know, over the summer we could walk on, we were too afraid to walk close to each other, but we would walk on opposite sides of the street (laughs) with our babies um, and hold our babies up so they could see each other. (laughs) How are they now? Are they friends now? Oh, they're best friends. (laughs) Yeah. Now that, now that they're toddlers, they're buddies. But you know, going through that just makes me have so much more respect for for single parents, yeah. for people who have children who don't have a support system nearby. Yeah. I mean, what we went through felt like a trauma to me it, mm-hmm. because it was so unexpected. It it felt, you know, like I, I really grieved my maternity. Like I grieved the maternity leave that I thought I was going to have. But for so many people, COVID aside, this is just what it is for them. Right, um, right. And I just have all the respect in the world for people who somehow do it um, because it's really, really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And how's Nora now? Oh, she's like the greatest person I've ever met in my life. She's so funny. (laughs) She Um, is very funny. (laughs) She's naturally very funny. She talks a lot. Yeah, she's, she's great. So Jim's mom comes every Monday to take care of her. And then my parents are there Tuesday through Friday. She was in daycare for a little bit, but she's been getting really sick, which inevitably happens with daycare germs. So we're just keeping her home for the winter and we're trying again in the spring when maybe it's a a little less germy. But she's, you know, she has little baby friends now. She's gotten together with you and your kids just because the world feels a little like we can get somewhat back to normal now. So, you know, we have our little quarantine friends who are on the same level and everyone's really cautious <laughs> and we get, get together once in a while with with friends so she can see other kids. And we have, we moved in the course of the pandemic. So we have new neighbors who all love Nora. So she always makes the rounds to the neighbors. So it does feel like she's having a pretty normal childhood. Like I don't yeah. think, I don't think she'll understand it when she's older. That's I don't think it will affect her. And right. that's the goal. Right. Right. Nora airs more or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> We've been waiting in the wings for you. <laughs> yes, I will say the Delamores killed it for Nora's first birthday. My oh, sister no. had everybody record happy birthday. And the the parody of Hamilton that was all about Nora growing up in a pandemic. <laughs> Which she still watches, I would say, maybe five times a day. We all have it memorized. Um, Really just a brilliant piece of of music. (laughs) To be fair. And a brilliant performances. (laughs) To be fair, when your sister sent that out and she was like, if everybody could send a nice birthday message, she utilized the word message. So I didn't know it was just going to (laughs) be clips of like... 
you know, your Burns cousins or your Ayers cousins, you know, saying happy birthday to her. So I was like a message on it, you know, and I, and I like rewrote the words to Hamilton and I was like, right, I did She's the thing. Obsessed. And Laura yeah, was like, you nailed it. Oh, okay. I guess I'll send that separate. I was like, damn it. What did I do wrong? <laughs> I did it so wrong. <laughs> no, you did it so right. It was so right. Oh my gosh. Well, she's still been loved, you know. It maybe we've oh, only been in your living yeah. room once since the pandemic. <laughs> but we've been loving her from afar for sure. Yeah, and I think in so many ways it's probably easier having a kid this age because she just doesn't know any different and she's not so aware. Whereas like elementary school kids who couldn't see their friends for a long time or, you know, couldn't do all the activities they had planned. It's probably a lot harder for them. Nora just, she doesn't know any different. Yeah. This is all she knows. Yeah. So that softens the blow, but for you and Jim, I mean, come on, that it was hard. We have to admit it. We have to honor how, fucking not fair that was for you to not get yeah, mac and I, I cheese. Yeah, I mean, I for sure, I, I wouldn't choose it again. <laughs> yeah, where's my mac and cheese? God damn it. Yeah, you wouldn't choose this again? You're not going to baby during the next yeah, pandemic? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to maybe not have, have a kid during a pandemic. Okay. All right. Well, we'll try yeah. to keep our ears to the ground, make sure we know when the next one, you know, is being released. But it seems released. like we're just in it. This is just, it's forever now, right? I think so, right? Yeah. It's like a it's like a diamond. <laughs> it, that sounds like a K Jewelers commercial. Yeah. <laughs> We're in it forever. A pandemic is forever. <laughs> a pandemic is forever. Show her you care. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I do, I was joking with somebody the other day. It wasn't even like you know in December 2019, let's just say, or even January 2020. It wasn't even like a, oh man, imagine if we have to have like a pandemic again. Like imagine if the world gets like super sick or imagine, you know, it just wasn't even, it just wasn't even a thing that you think about. So yeah, no, this was uh, pretty unimaginable, but we seem to be dealing with it and still raising Nora's. So that's fucking cool, you know? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, Jim and I go back and forth. We're like, this would have been so much easier without her. Mm. Like if we hadn't had a baby, the pandemic would have been yeah. easier. We wouldn't have had to worry about her. We, we could just work from home, work, what I, like everything would have been different. Yeah. But we're just like, it's so much better because of her. Like it, if we didn't have her to focus on, if we didn't have the joy that she brought us, yeah. everything would feel really different. Much more um, nihilistic or hopeless, right? Um, yeah. Because yep. there's something hopeful about uh, making beautiful things even in ugly times, you know? Yeah. And there, I mean, there's just so much joy in having a bait. I mean, she is joy. She's like, we dance every day and she like just started telling jokes and she's, you know, everything's, it's just so, she's fun. She's at a really fun yeah. age. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm so glad that that's what we're ending on, that children are joy yeah. and that <laughs> despite it all, you can still be a one and a half year old that already has like comedic timing, you know, like, come on, that's, that's, right. that's all you can ask for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was an honor. I, I felt so honored that you thought of me for this. That was my conversation with Monica, a first time mom who started her journey 
just as an entire world went on pause. You know, after we pressed stop on our recording devices, we chatted a little longer. I started to feel a little more myself. Monica, still poised as ever, but she kept repeating how much she understood how much harder others had it. Though her postpartum was nothing like she envisioned, her grief was of an expected reality, and she truly understands others are dealing with a grief of the reality they were dealt. You know, I struggled with tabling this episode because, as you might have heard, my, my nervous laughter, my stunted questioning... I was almost too aware of how sensitive birth stories are. But dear Nora, thank you for coming here. To close out today's episode, here's my kids and I singing our little anthem to Nora. To all babies born in a plague. In New York, there's a new toddler. In New York, there's a new toddler. In New York, there's a new toddler. you overcame do you know you were born a plague the world will never be the same oh one year later and things are looking better we still wear masks but soon we're gonna gather the vaccine's gonna destroy the plague and then we'll hug you me I'll play with her. Me, I'll sing with her. Me, I'll laugh with her. Me, I'll eat chips with her. Ba-da-da-da. Oh, me? I'll talk to her about music and show her my record collection. Oh, uh, there's, there's a, a million, million things they have.